back to Rethinking the Gospel. This is episode two on the second chapter of Matthew. Uh, in this episode, we're going to review the relationship between Joseph and Jesus, and we're going to show that that relationship extends all the way back, that the theological point that Matthew is trying to make here is that Joseph and Judah uh, can be reconciled in the life of Jesus. And Jesus, as if you'll remember from last episode, from episode one, uh, that Jesus was a descendant of Judah and uh, Joseph was a brother of Judah. And here in Matthew, the first chapter, just as a way of reminder, in the 16th verse, you see that, uh, that Jacob is the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So you notice the very interesting point that he's making. He's you don't think it's interesting, maybe, on first glance. Oh, yeah, Jacob, uh, the, the uh, father of, jo of Joseph. But in the minds of first century Jews, they would have been going, What? Jacob, the son of Joseph? I mean, or Jacob, the father of Joseph? Or where have we heard that before? And, and then to see Jesus in the line of Judah, uh, all of a sudden you have a Judah and a, and, a, and a Joseph again. Judah is the brother of Joseph. And we're going to look at this in a minute in uh, Genesis to show that uh, it, what started, and we're going to look at several other prophets as well, what started in a relationship breach between Joseph and his brothers um, continued on for many, many, many decades, R really multiple centuries of animosity uh, but what Matthew is going to be driving at here in just these very subtle, uh, nuanced uh, language that draws the Jewish listener into the story, he's saying that this uh, Joseph, the son of Jacob, a dreamer of dreams, is going to save uh, the, the king, the son of David, the son of Judah. Uh, he's going to save him uh, from, from death. And, um, and by taking him into Egypt uh, based on some dreams that he has. So there's so much color around this. Um, but it, when we see that Jacob, the father of Joseph in that 16th verse, and then as we, I didn't dwell on this in episode one, but if you look at the 22nd verse, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he's talking about the prophet Isaiah here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, that, that piece of information there, that little verse that uh, Matthew is concluding that first chapter with, is a verse that is actually very deeply intertwined in the relationship between Joseph and Judah. And uh, if you haven't studied this in the past, um, it might be a lot of information to get, uh, but I want to just kind of step through a few of these passages and show you that pretty much the entire Hebrew scriptures was a story, uh, were stories about the relationship between Judah and Joseph primarily, and the relationship they had with foreign nations, and the relations that they had with God. The entire Hebrew scriptures could pretty much be summed up in those relationships. So let's look real quick at how this whole thing starts. Over here in Genesis, the um, 37th chapter, we see that 
Uh, Joseph is a dreamer of dreams. He is the 11th born son of Jacob. Remember, Jacob had 12 sons from four wives. Uh, and his last two sons were born from the wife that he had originally uh, labored uh, with his father-in-law uh, to marry. The woman that he loved was Rachel. And she was barren, and, but she finally had two children, uh, Joseph and Benjamin. And when Benjamin was born, she j died in childbirth and was buried in the city of Bethlehem um, and in a, in a tomb there in, in Bethlehem. So, uh, so both Joseph and, and uh, Benjamin were born from them, but Joseph had a really strained relationship with his other 10 older brothers because uh, his father favored him pretty significantly would you know, inquire of him of how his boys, his brothers were, uh, were acting while they were out and away from him. And uh, well, they had already gone on record as not being as the most faithful uh, sons, if you look in the previous chapter. So he, he had reason to be concerned about their behavior. But when Joseph would do that, uh, it just created more and more animosity between him and them. And they, the other boys saw that he had favored them, and he gave him a coat, if you remember from Sunday school, the coat of many colors. And so one day, uh, he asked them to go into the field and to check on his brothers and after he had had uh, two different dreams about how his brothers uh, and even his mother and father would bow down and, uh, and serve him, that he would be exalted above them. Of course, that didn't set well with any of them. And so when they saw him coming with his beautiful coat, uh, they said, you know what, let's kill this guy. I'm done. We're done with him. Let's just kill him. Let's tell, the, tell dad that, uh, that uh, some animals rent him, and, um, and we, we'll get by with it. And as they were waiting to do that, they'd cast him into a pit, and as they were waiting, Judah speaks up. And over here in the, um, in the 26th verse of the 37th chapter of Genesis, it says, Judah said to his brother, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him into the hand of the Ishmaelites, and let not our blood be on him. And so they lifted him up out of the pit, they sold him to the Ishmaelites, and Joseph gets carried away at 17 years old into Egypt, and he's sold by the Ishmaelites into slavery, and he happens into the house of one Potiphar, who was a wealthy uh, leader within Egypt, and he faithfully works there. But what we see is that the boys go home and they tell a story to their father that uh, uh, that he, he, it looks like Joseph is dead. They don't come out cleanly, clearly and say it, but they, they bring evidences that might indicate that Joseph is dead. The authors, the author or authors of Genesis, uh, they're, they're now laying out a story. And the, you're going to see the storyline as this intertwining of Judah and Joseph. Judah and Joseph. The rest of the book uh, and as I said earlier, almost the rest of the Hebrew scriptures are dealing with this relationships here between Judah and Joseph. Uh, but it says in the 38th chapter, and I won't go into this story, but it's talking about uh, Judah and his daughter-in-law Tamar. He doesn't know that his, his daughter-in-law, that his sons are reprobates and they both die. Two of their sons die. And when it came time, as their custom was, uh, to give the thirdborn son to Tamar to raise up children, uh, to, to Judah's off, uh, lineage, that his lineage would continue, uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't give him. So Tamar's living in her father's home in protection there, waiting for this third son to be uh, old enough to marry. 
and it just never happens. So she plays a harlot, plays the role of a harlot, and actually lures Judah in. And uh, he has nothing to pay her with, uh, so she takes tokens, his staff and a bracelet, or a couple of different trinkets like that, and uh, come to find out she, she gets pregnant. And then the word comes to Judah. Oh, Judah, your daughter-in-law Tamar's pregnant. Well, he goes, well, we're going to take care of this. She shamed the family. She shamed the entire family. We're going to go take care of this. And she's, she comes into the middle of the community of people, and Judah's got his claim against her. And he said, uh, well, the man that got me pregnant owned these items. And, Joseph, and, and J, um, Judah re realizes that, that he's the one, that she was the woman at the side of the road that which he perceived was a harlot. And, um, but really, in, in Jewish lore, and I covered this in episode 1 and 2, in chapter 1 uh, of Matthew, is that Tamar actually had a vision for who Judah was going to be. Reuben had already screwed up, the oldest boy. The next two boys that came out uh, from, uh, from Jacob were Simeon and Levi, and they had already uh, screwed up the, the birthrights that, that might come to them. So Judah was real, the fourth born, and pretty much everything was coming his way because of the first three sons and their poor behavior and Jacob's feeling towards them. And when you read Genesis 49, you see how he he feels. He says, Reuben, you're, not, you're unstable. Uh, and, and Simeon and Levi, you're instruments of cruelty. So he didn't, want, he didn't leave anything to them. But when he gets to Judah, he begins to speak more fondly of, of Judah. And he begins to say that from Judah is the king, the king is going to come. The promised king would come from Judah. But, but notice that the whole 38th chapter is really dealing with the sexual misconduct of Judah. And then when we get to the 39th chapter, of Genesis, we, we reset back on Joseph. Joseph is now in Potiphar's home. He has been elevated to the highest rank within Potiphar's home. Everything that he touches seems to turn to gold. He's got the Midas touch. And, but, but Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him. She wants him to uh, have sexual relations with him. But instead, he doesn't. He flees. He, he leaves his coat behind him again. She grabs it. He leaves that behind. And he flees, and then she cries out and says, he tried to rape me. He tried to rape me. This is how, they, this is how the, these Hebrew guys do. And, uh, which, by the way, is another topic altogether, how we tend to um, criminalize um, minorities. We've got to be really careful about that. So here, the, these Hebrews, you brought them in, and they're just going to shame us, she says. So he's cast into prison. But you notice the 38th chapter was Judah, and his sexual misconduct. And here in the 39th chapter, it's Joseph and, and his faithfulness uh, in his life, and particularly in this uh, situation of sexual relations. So in the 40th chapter, in the 41st chapter, we see Joseph is cast into prison, and he meets the, the Pharaoh's baker and, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, cupbearer, and he has, they have dreams. And he tells him the dreams, and both those dreams come true. And he's making the jailer look great. And J Joseph is just finding favor everywhere he goes, uh, even in the pit of, a, of an Egyptian prison, which couldn't have been uh, the best of living conditions. But then um, uh, the, the um, cupbearer is brought back into favor with Pharaoh, and, uh, and he had, Pharaoh has a dream. And, and Joseph tells the cupbearer, hey, please, Remind, 
when you get there, tell Pharaoh about me. Uh, but he forgets, totally forgets about him. And, uh, and then Pharaoh has a dream. And he, he overhears uh, that, um, uh, that, um, Pharaoh's, that he, Pharaoh had a dream. He overhears it. And he says, hey, I know this guy. He told the dream and it came to pass just exactly like it, 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 he dreamed it. Uh, and so what ends up happening is uh, Joseph tells the Pharaoh the dream. And in this dream, there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of great famine. And so he, he advises the Pharaoh to put over someone who has got a lot of wisdom to manage the affairs, collect the money uh, and the grain and put it in storehouse so that the seven years of plenty could take care of the seven years of famine. Well, that starts to, that becomes to happen. And when the years of famine occur, but Pharaoh can't think of anyone else to put in charge than Joseph because Joseph could interpret the dream. So who would be more wise than him to run the show? So now we see Joseph, he just continues to get exalted up to the, uh, up the, up the ranks. And he starts taking care of Pharaoh's plan for uh, preserving Egypt and any other folks that might come their way. Well, some of those folks that come their way during those years of famine, during those seven years of famine, they come to Joseph and it happens to be his brothers. And they come and they have a, they tell a story, hey, we're the, we're, we were 11 brothers uh, from one father and we come, we need grain. So he says, well, okay, I'm going to give you the grain and you go, but one of you guys are staying back behind me until you bring back that 11th son because there was only 10 of them there. Well, the boy that he wanted to see was Benjamin, his younger brother that he hadn't seen in, in a, over a decade. And he's wanting now to see him. He's wanting to, in, I think, almost two decades. And he, so he wants to see his brother. So he has this deal. He keeps him, one of the boys back. He sends the other boys on. And when it comes down uh, to time that they need grain again, they said, listen, Dad, they're not going to let us go unless you send Benjamin. He goes, don't, no, you can't take Benjamin. Uh, uh, Jacob forbids them to take uh, Benjamin because now he goes, I'll be bereaved of both of my sons from Rachel. He goes, you can't do it. And he goes, Dad, the Judah finally stands up and he says, listen, I will be the surety for the boy. See, something happened in the 17 years from the time that that, uh, Judah sold Joseph into slavery. Something had happened to Judah. Judah had mellowed. Judah had realized his own uh, clay feet, that something had, uh, was building and, and developing in him. His character was developing. And, um, and his father was seeing it because when he says, then Judah steps forward and he says, Dad, I'll be the short surety for this boy. I will not allow him to be um, uh, hurt as we go into Egypt. So he gets, says, okay, they go back in. Uh, Joseph puts together a little ruse. They give him the grain. They have dinner together. And Joseph takes and has uh, a a cup of some kind, a very valuable cup placed in the sack that belongs to Benjamin. He lets them all go. And then he says, chases, tells his servants to chase after them. And they chase after him and they come to find out the cup is found in the sack of Benjamin. And they all come back, heads hanging low. And they come back to Joseph and Joseph says, hey, you stole from me. What's going on? Okay, because you stole from me, you, all you boys can go, but Benjamin stays. And they were like, no, it'll kill my dad. Judah says, take me. I'll be your, I'll be your servant. Take me. You see how Judah takes action right then to, to step in that place, to be the surety for Benjamin? He says, I cannot, I cannot look at my father's face 
if we don't bring Benjamin back. He's already been bereaved of his, old, his other son, and, and this, would not, uh, uh, this would kill him. Well, that is enough to tear out J Joseph's heart. At that point, Joseph realized that Judas had a, had, had a second thoughts. He's repented. He's grown up. He's changed. And he says, it's me. It's Joseph. I'm your brother. And the, they were dumbfounded. They were dumbstruck. End of the story is, is that all of them are saved from, uh, from famine by coming into Egypt. And they bring Jacob and all the boys come and they bring their families and they settle in the land of Goshen and they are herdsmen. Uh, for the rest of their duration there. So all's, all's well, right? Uh, Joseph and, 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 and Judah, they have a separation and then they come back together and then they continue on. But when you start to dig into the scriptures and you start to see uh, how they develop over there in Numbers, the first chapter, they're showing how the armies are divvied up across these 12 tribes. Uh, and the tribe of Joseph is broken into two, Ephraim and Manasseh. And the chief tribe becomes Ephraim. So it comes to the place in the future of Israel that they just go by the name of Ephraim. And you'll see that some of the prophets just refer to them in shorthand. When they're talking about all the tribes, they refer to Ephraim. But at this point, they're all together. And when you look in Numbers 1, you'll see that uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, uh, their numbers of soldiers equal that of Judah. And all the other tribes are much smaller. But they're both very powerful, 72, 73,000 uh, men that carry a sword. Very powerful armies that these two men. Well, they also have opposite ends of the promised land that are granted to them. Uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, they get, the, they get the far north area, and Judah has the far south. So there's this kind of distance that begins to develop between them. Now, what we notice is that uh, in the, as... Uh, as Jude, they get established in the promised land, the children of Israel are delivered from Egypt. That's a story that we'll cover in the next week's episode, uh, episode three. But when we go to looking at uh, uh, the king set up, uh, eventually uh, in the promised land, David of the tribe of Judah becomes the king of Israel. And all the tribes unite uh, underneath him, after about seven years of him just ruling in Judah, all the tribes unite under David uh, after Solomon's uh, after Saul's uh, failure. Well, then the kingdom has forty years of just absolute glory, and then Solomon is, comes in, and they have forty more years of glory. Uh, they have peace on all sides. Uh, they're out external in enemies. There are some internal enemies that they're dealing with, but. By and large, things are, are settled down. Well, when, when, when uh, Solomon dies, Rehoboam takes over and he deals very harshly with the northern tribes. And there's a, there's a man named Jeroboam who's of the Ephraim tribe. He's of the tribe of Ephraim. So now we're talking about a son of Joseph and we're talking Jeroboam and a son of Judah who's uh, uh, Rehoboam. And he said, Jeroboam comes to him and says, hey, listen, man, give us a break. You're putting too much taxation on us. You're creating too much problem, too many problems. And he says, listen, you know, you think my dad was tough. I'm going to be twice as tough. I'm going to be tougher than nails. You're, you're, I'm going to, I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. You're, if you don't, you know, uh, obey me. And finally, Jeroboam says, okay, 
Israel, come on, we're leaving. And there was a breach. So now what's happened? Joseph and Judah have had a breach. There's been a separation. And each successive king, that separation, it has at times it's closer, but there's still two distinct kingdoms, the 10 tribes of Israel in the north and, and the tribe of Judah and Benjamin in the south. And there's this struggle, this struggle between them. Now, what's interesting is when we get to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah the seventh chapter, which is the verse that Matthew quotes at the end of Matthew chapter one, uh, that he quotes from Isaiah seven. And let's just look at that real quick. Isaiah chapter seven says, in the 10th verse, he's talking about the Lord said to Ahaz, Ahaz was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, because the, the kingdom is split right now. And he says, ask a sign as high as the heavens or as deep as hell. Ask me, the, ask me for a sign. And he goes like, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to ask you for a sign. He goes, okay, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. This is the 14th verse and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us, which is, and that's what the quotation was from Matthew, the first chapter. Well, let's get the context here. What is the context of why Ahaz has so much fear right now? Why they need a deliverance from the Lord? And why that deliverance was going to come through a, through a child, through a, a bear, some child being born, a child who would be named Emmanuel. Look at the seventh chapter in the, in the first verse. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, right? Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel. So Rezin and Pekah. Pekah is the descendant. Uh, he's, he's, in this, he's, he's in that northern kingdom, and he is the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, that's the northern tribes. They came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David, right? David, tribe of Judah, was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, right? Ephraim is the main tribe in the tribe of Joseph. So we've got Joseph and David. We've got Judah, the king of Judah, and, 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 the, the, and Joseph's lineage. They're still at odds here, but now what's happened is Joseph has made an alignment with a foreign power against his brother. This animosity is continuing here. And the, the kings of the north and the kings of the south of, of Israel and Judah, you know, there were better kings, you know, good kings in Judah, uh, and there were good kings in the, in the north, but mostly the north had idolatrous kings, and many of the kings of Judah were idolatrous. But the sign that was going to be given was that a son was going to be born and he would be God with them. And that was going to be the sign that they were not going to have to fear uh, what was coming against them. Not then and not ever. And in the ninth chapter, behold, a son is given, a child is given, a son is given, the government's on his shoulders. Remember that in the ninth chapter? Uh, and then in the eleventh chapter, it gets very interesting. The 11th chapter says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from the roots uh, shall bear fruit. So there's going to be a child born from the stump. This stump of Judah was, so to speak, cut off. 
And now a shoot was going to take off and it was going to be a shoot that was strong enough or a branch was going to be strong enough uh, to uh, bear fruit. Now, very interesting. It says the Spirit's going to be on him, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, counsel, might, all of these things are going to be. But now look at what this root of Jesse was going to do. What this seed of David with this king in this kingly line, this one that was promised to come, that was going to solve the problem of Joseph and Judah's animosity. Joseph and Judah were going to be reconciled in this root of Jesse, in this seed of David. Notice the 10th verse of the 11th chapter. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal, like a banner, like a flag on a hilltop, for all the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And it says that he's going to extend again a second time to recover the remnant of his people. From Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath. So this is the scattered people of Israel and the scattered people of Judah, which the exile that took place in Assyria in 722 of the 10 northern tribes, and we call them uh, the lost tribes of Israel, right? They, they were the 10 northern tribes that were scattered by Assyria. And then Judah was later taken captive by Babylon in 606 BC. But... So that scattering was going to be resolved. Judah and Joseph were scattered across the planet and they were going to be uh, brought back together by this root of Jesse. The 12th verse, he will raise a signal for the nations. He will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth and the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. So you see how this is about Judah and Joseph being brought back together in this root of Jesse, in this seed of David, in this king that was going to come, whose name would be Emmanuel. That's the context of that verse that Matthew picked. Matthew wasn't just plucking some verse out of the air. Matthew was saying, this Joseph, the father, the son of Jacob, this dreamer of dreams, is the father of uh, Jesus, he's going to be the protector of Jesus. He's going to dream dreams. And those dreams are going to allow him to protect this promised seed. This Ahaz was in a, in, in a terrible situation. They're surrounded right now by enemies. And yet a seed, a child was going to be born that was going to continue the hope of Israel. Let's look real quickly at um, uh, a couple of the prophets. Let's look first at Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel covers this when, the, now Ezekiel writes at the time of the Babylonian uh, uh, captivity. He, they're in Babylon and in the, um, in the uh, 30, let's see. Let's go to the 37th chapter. This is the whole valley of dry bones, how he's going to take all of the, so to speak, the dead. He's going to resurrect the dead. And, and, and this dead represented Israel as they had been cast into the graves of foreign powers. And, um, but then he says, I will be their God. This is how my little section here in 37, chapter Ezekiel 37, verse 15. 
The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with him. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel associated with him and join them one to another in your hand. And it's like the stick of Joseph and the stick of Judah. We're going to join them together. He's, then he says in the 21st verse, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among whom they have gone and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land and I will make them one nation. See, no more divided nations. And one king shall rule over them and they will no longer be two nations and no longer are divided into two kingdoms. And the 24th verse says, My servant David shall be king over them. Well, David had been dead for 400 years. So he's not talking about King David. He's talking about this promised seed of David that would rule over them. And they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and carefully obey my statutes. So Ezekiel's imagining a time when they would be delivered from their captivity, that they would join themselves from, from the Ephraim that had been scattered a hundred years before them among the nations, and that somehow they would all come back to their promised land, and they would have one king, this Messiah, this anointed king, would rule over them. Hosea, he covers this as well. He talks in the fifth chapter about the punishment that is coming for Israel and Judah. And in the 13th verse, I mean, it's pretty brutal, all the stuff that's going on, all the, the claims. He says, you know, basically you've screwed up. You, you've not been faithful to my covenant. And so uh, you're going to be in trouble. All those judgments that we've been already reading from Isaiah and from Ezekiel, it's the recovery of those judgments here. And Hosea is talking about as they were going in. It says, when Ephraim, in the 13th verse of the 5th chapter of Hosea, the prophet, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria, right? That's the Assyrian exile, uh, and sent to the great king, but he was not able to cure or heal your wound. Because see, he's talking here about how he was going to, he was going to wound Ephraim and he was going to wound Judah and that they would seek to get the help that they would need from, um, from uh, their, these foreign powers. And e the northern tribe, Ephraim, went to uh, Assyria. And Assyria said, hey, you know what? I kind of like what I see down there. I'm going to take you guys captive and I'll take that land for myself. And Judah did the same thing with Babylon. They sought to seek Babylonian support and uh, they ended up getting carried away into Babylonian captivity. So the 14th, he says, I, you know, I, you're, you're seeking cures for your wounds. But he says, I'm going to carry you off and no one shall rescue you. And in the 15th verse, it says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and until they seek my face and in their distress, uh, they earnestly seek me. Then the sixth chapter comes along. Now, this is the recovery of this whole thing. You know, just take note. God is not about punishing or for without remedy. Justice in, in, in God is not about retribution. It's about rectification and reconciliation and healing. Any kind of judgment or justice in the economy of God is done with this mindset. So in the sixth chapter of Hosea, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us. He will heal us. He has struck us down. He will bind us up. 
See, not the nations, not Assyria, and certainly not when we get into the New Testament, certainly not Rome. They're not going to bind us up. They're not our hope. Our hope is in this Messiah that is going to come and, and that from God, and he will uh, cause us to walk and obey the statutes. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us. He will heal us. Uh, he has smitten us. He struck, struck us down. He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And in the third day, we shall live in his sight. And then he says, the fourth verse says, What shall we do with you, O Ephraim? And what shall we do for you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them as by the prophets. See, this is the way that they, that they were smitten by God. The, 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 the pain of Assyria and the pain of Babylon was just wicked men doing wicked things. But the prophets were speaking uh, to, um, to Ephraim and Judah, and that was like a wound. The, I have hewn them by the prophets, and I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. And then look at this verse, in the sixth verse of the sixth chapter. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You're going to see Jesus reference this uh, twice uh, to his brothers among the, um, among the Jews of his day, the Pharisees and the scribes, in the ninth chapter and in the twelfth chapter of Matthew. This verse is, is, is pulled out. So you can see that Jesus' whole ministry, and from the very beginning, when we come over here now, finally, I know you thought, well, are you ever going to get to Matthew 1, uh, Matthew, back to Matthew 2? Uh, well, yeah, sure, here we are. Uh, but I wanted to lay that groundwork to show that Jacob, the father of Joseph, the father of Jesus, this was a, a relationship. The message that they were to get was that if Joseph and Judah could be reconciled in this new child, if this child, this promised child, that behold, a virgin shall conceive, that's the first chapter, 22nd verse, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then it says, then the second chapter starts. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, Bethlehem of Judea, he's, he's born in the city of David. Jesus is. This is tying it all together. People are going, oh, wow. He's the, he is this seed of David. He's this promised seed that was supposed to reconcile Judah and Joseph. And, and they're, they're already being triggered by by Joseph, the son of Jacob, this dreamer of dreams here in this chapter, and then each of these dreams that he has. And what is one of the dreams that he has? He has a dream in the 13th verse of the second chapter. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So now you have a, a, a death that is imminent for this child if he doesn't leave. If he does not leave the city of Bethlehem, he's going and, and, um, and, uh, and, and flee somewhere. But Joseph takes him to Egypt. This Judah, this seed of Judah, this king from, from the lineage of Judah, and go back to Psalm 40, uh, Genesis 49 and read again the, the promise that was made, the blessing that was made over Judah by his father, Jacob. And you'll see that a lawgiver would not depart from between uh, Judah's feet until Shiloh come, until the one that would make peace would come, the peacemaker 
When the peacemaker would finally come, there would, there would be no more need for kings. There's no more need for kings because this child came, this Emmanuel, God with us, this living in, in Judah, and now this Joseph has taken him, this child of Judah, into Egypt to preserve his life. Herod, though, comes in. Now, notice this. Uh, this was spoken to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. What prophet was that? Hosea. Hosea 11.1. 1. So you can see that in Matthew's mind, as he's interweaving this, this animosity between Ephraim or Joseph and Judah or, or, Israel, or, or the southern kingdoms, David, when, it, when we're trying to reconcile this, it's being reconciled. He's got it all in his mind here. Out of Egypt I have called my son, which is a reference to actually being delivered from, uh, from Egypt through the Red Sea. And that's what Hosea is talking about. But when Herod saw that they, they had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children of Bethlehem. So he goes into Bethlehem because he had inquired earlier of the priests and the scribes and the chief priests and the scribes. And earlier in that chapter, he says, where's he born? And they told him that he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. That's the fifth verse of the second chapter. And he says, and then he quotes it. He goes there to the, the quotation. He says, O you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah from you, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So here's this promise that in, from Bethlehem, the ruler of the people would come. So Herod doesn't want that to happen. Herod goes out there and kills all these male children that are in Bethlehem. Now notice, they said that this was to fulfill what the prophet Jeremiah said. And what did Jeremiah say? Jer Jeremiah was talking about how the children of Israel, children of Judah, were going to go into exile, into Babylon. He's trying to sell them. Listen, you're going into Babylonian captivity. And he goes, Rachel is weeping for her children. The voice, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now, what Jeremiah was talking about was this exile, that the path to exile going to Babylon in the east was through Bethlehem. It was like all the cities were emptying out. And there was a, there was a, 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 a caravan of captives going into Babylon through uh, Bethlehem, which is uh, on that trek going towards uh, the, the um, uh, uh, Jordan and, and, and beyond, and all the way to the Euphrates River where they ended up going into exile. And the, the, the thing that, re remember I said that this beloved wife of Jacob, he wasn't buried where Jacob, she wasn't buried where Jacob was. Jacob buried her there in Bethlehem. But Jacob was buried far in the north with Leah, his wife, in, in a grave far away from Rachel. But now it's Rachel weeping for all of the children of Israel as they go into captivity. Matthew picks this thought up and he's basically saying the death of these children was this, was this like this loss, like this death into Babylonian captivity. But the resurrection in that 39th chapter 
of Ezekiel, that, or the 37th chapter of Ezekiel that we talked about, that dry bones, that resurrection that came to them. They were, Rachel was going to receive her children back again from the dead. Now look at what it just, we're just going to finish up here, and I'll get to some other points in the next episode. But he says, But when Herod died, behold, a dream, Joseph came from Egypt, rise, take the child and his mother, uh, for the, those that sought to kill him are dead. And then he says, uh, yeah, but I heard about his son. And the angel says, okay, then go to uh, the district of Galilee. And in the 23rd verse, it says, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Well, that's interesting because I don't know that any of the prophets said he shall be called a Nazarene, but yet Matthew's quoting it as if he is. The, the word Nazareth, the name Nazareth, that, that word or that, and a person from there is Nazarene, is the same word. This, this word, this city would be, uh, would be interpreted, if you were to get the, look at the Hebrew behind the Greek, would be interpreted branch or root. So we're talking about the root of Jesse. We're talking about the branch. Now we have Jesus born in the city of David, Bethlehem. And now he moves to Nazareth. It's this imagery he's bringing together. He goes, you're looking for the branch. You're looking for the son that is given. You're looking for the one that has the government upon his shoulders. You're looking for the one that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Look no further than this man here in the city of Nazareth. Now, in the next episode, episode three, we're going to stay in the third, in the second chapter, and we're going to show how Jesus is kind of like Solomon, that he's kind of like Moses, and we'll wrap up that second chapter then. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you. If you have any comments. Or-